Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Great Obsession Podcast. I'm Riley, and I'm drinking a coconut hot cocoa tonight. Coconut hot cocoa? That sounds Yeah, I put, I put coconut simple syrup in there. Have you never had the Kokomo from Dutch Bros? Mm, maybe I it's, have. It's a maybe coconut I mocha. I guess, well... Well, my, my hot cocoa was yeah, inspired by like that. Yeah, that's just like a Mounds candy bar, actually, now that you say that. I think in my mind, it was just like so clearly tropical with like warm drink that i was confused anyways all that to say i support you sorry i came at you so hard for your coconut hot chocolate um (laughs) i am sam and i am drinking a decaf hazelnut hot latte Ooh, the decaf is Mm -hmm. a good move real power move it was on sale so i bought the good stuff and i'm happy about it is the do the decaf beans taste different? Um, so well, I don't get decaf beans. I get uh, Illy decaf like pre ground espresso, and that's a the brand oh. is kind of expensive. And decaf is fine because I don't. It's not like I'm having a decaf uh, latte or espresso every night, and so it's more of like an every now and mm-hmm. then. So I feel fine paying the price. But yeah, for one canister of the decaf. Is like the same cost as twice as much of the regular regular caffeinated beans that I get. It's just like expensive. That mm. brand is. Wow, so you're treating yourself mm-hmm. tonight. Living in luxury. <laughs> a special occasion because we're finally talking about A Court of Mist and Fury, a book that we have referenced a thousand times. hundreds of times in the course of this podcast. Yeah. So spoiler warning. For anyone who has not read A Court of Mist and Fury, don't listen to this episode because we're going to be spoiling the events of that book. However, we're not going to be spoiling anything that happens beyond it. So if you have not read A Court of Wings and Ruin or anything past it, you're safe. Um, We will not be spoiling anything or talking about any other Sarah J. Mass series. Um, but we will be talking about uh, A Court of Thorns and Roses and A Court of Wings and Ruin. Oh, no, no, now, we're not talking about A that, Court of Wings or, and Ruin. That's the next one. Sorry, I meant a, <laughs> a Court of Thorns and Roses and A Court of Mist and Fury. Yes. That's what we're talking about. There are so many courts of nouns and nouns that it it's is just hard to keep track. It's a mouthful for sure. She could, she could <laughs> benefit really from a shorter title. I'm just saying we don't have to like keep with the same thing every time like it doesn't have to be a court of we could branch out i would be okay with that even the like, like i would the too city books same thing house of house of noun house and of noun. What? i can't remember stop stop yeah house of you need to come up with another title it, because it's so hard to remember um okay we we sort of flopped in our last episode and we didn't do initial and final ratings for a court of thorns and roses do you want to do that for a court of mist and fury um sure i so one thing that we should preface this whole conversation with is similar to a court of thorns and roses is that yeah that's what's called see i'm confused um yep that's the right one (laughs) riley and i read a court of mist and fury quite a while ago now two years i think Mm -hmm, about two years ago so 
this was a like a reread, a revisit for us. And as such, I think my perspective on this book has changed as time has gone by. The first time I read this book, 9.5 rocked my world. I this this was the greatest thing I had read in a long time when I first read this book. Mm-hmm. And now that I've had a little bit more time and I've just read a lot more fantasy especially in general, I think my initial rating for this book is going to be like a 7.5. Okay, yeah, I was thinking something similar because same as you, the first time I read this, I probably would have rated it a 10. I rated it five stars on Goodreads, and the only review I wrote was, this book is perfect, no notes. <laughs> and I feel differently and, now. And she's back with notes. Yeah, I'm back with notes. Surprisingly, the first time I read this series, I, I think I rated A Court of Thorns and Roses four stars. And this this book, Mist and Fury, I rated five stars. And I feel differently now. I think... Having done our review of A Court of Thorns and Roses, I feel like that book is actually stronger in certain ways, which we'll we'll get into. All that to say, I will give this book an initial rating of 7 out of 10. Like, it's still very good. But rereading it, I I had some some notes. Some thoughts. But before we get into our thoughts and our notes, uh, this series is so 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 popular it's beloved by many we loved it the first time we read it and I think it also is a really powerful series in getting people like back into reading like I've just heard so many people say that where it's like oh I hadn't picked up a book in five years and then I read this series and this like got me back into it and a lot of people really really love Akamath specifically within this series. And so there are definitely some real high points to talk about with this book. Um, mm-hmm. The biggest main thing, obviously, being the Feyre Resand relationship. Um, this mm-hmm. book is a true romance with fantasy elements. Um, it's all mm-hmm. about Feyre's journey and her developing relationship with Resand more than it is about developing this like fantasy world. Though there is that mm-hmm. happens as well. It definitely just like takes a back seat compared to the Resand Feyre relationship. Yeah, I do feel like part of the reason this book is so fun and it was like so just magical and and amazing to read for the first time when I was getting back into reading is because there is a lot of world building in the sense that you see a lot more of the yeah. world in this book because you start Akatar and you're like okay I'm seeing the spring court and under the mountain and that's all you get and in this book you get the night court you get Valeris the secret part of the night court you get the summer court mm-hmm. And you get Highburn. So it's like so many new places are are being shown to you. And I think the writing, when describing these places, it's very descriptive and very mm-hmm. beautiful. And which leads to a lot of really beautiful fan art of this series. So I think that's a really strong point of it is that the, the actual world visually as it's been sort of created in, in 
through the, the descriptions um, in the book is really beautiful. However, it's not, um, and we'll get into this, <laughs> it's not super sound when, we're, when we start getting into like the magic system and, and what exists beyond uh, Prithian. However, I want to go back to Feyre and Rhysand because like you said, that is what really just makes this book such a journey. And the first time I read this, I had not been spoiled. So I didn't know that Feyre was going to leave Tamlin for Reese. Did you know that? So I did. I I did. I didn't know that it happened in this book. Okay. I had after I had read Akatar, the first thing I did was Google Akatar fan art, which uh, surprise, surprise. Akatar fan art is not Feyre Tamlin. It's no. overwhelmingly Feyre Resan. And so I knew that they were like in game and clearly the fan favorite ship. But so I, I knew that was going to come up in this book, but I didn't think that this book would be a Feyre Resan full fledged relationship. And the beginning of this book with her time with Tamlin in the spring court was also quite unexpected. I, um, mm-hmm. I was really engaged from the start because we, you know, so often like in Akatar, we get this whole hero's journey and mm-hmm. we have a real hero's ending and it ends on this happily ever after note where they go off, they're going to get married, they're going to be together, they're safe, yada, yada. And now this Akamath starts out with Feyre supposedly in her happily ever after and it's it's not actually so happily and she really is dealing with a lot of trauma from what she experienced under the mountain and so is Tamlin like all these people are really experiencing and responding to the trauma that they have from the previous book which I really was surprised by and really appreciated because so often we get a character like experiences something deeply traumatic and then the next book they're like bounce back all mm-hmm. like they just like plot forget. is moving forward everything is fine and the bulk of this book is honestly Feyre dealing with the trauma that she experienced in Akatar, which I did not expect but really appreciated and enjoyed um yeah. But yeah, all that to say is the resand thing was spoiled for me, and yet I was still surprised. Okay, that's... I actually didn't know that. I can't believe we never talked about this. Because uh, for me, it was a total surprise. Like, I remember texting you, I think when I had gotten to the part where, like, Feyre goes back to the night court for the second time, and, and Reese is, like, teaching her to read, and, and they're being, like, snarky with each other. I was like, man, these two have chemistry. Like, this would be such a fun enemies to lovers. Like, too bad she's with Tamlin, but, like, I still ship it. And I remember texting you that, and you were like, hee hee. You texted me something where you were like, yo, I really like Reese and I hope he and Nesta get together. Yes. That's who you shipped. That was, well, that was my prediction at the end of Akatar because I was like. Okay, okay. I was like, I want more of Resand, but I don't see how Feyre could be with him since her entire mm-hmm. journey in Akatar is like rescuing with Tam- Tamlin. Tamlin, like sacrificing herself for his how much she loves him. So I just never would have predicted that. And so this book was a, a huge pleasant surprise because I was like, oh, I do get more of Resand, and actually mm-hmm. him and Feyre get to be a little bit of an enemies to lovers vibe because... 
she hates him in the beginning yeah. and then grows to like him and develop this friendship with him throughout the book that then turns into a romance. And it just progresses so beautifully and so naturally that mm-hmm. it's re- really satisfying to read. It's not, uh, it's not insta-lovey at all. And so it really works for me, a, a lover of slow burn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's interesting because I would agree that it, it happens gradually and that actually is almost one of the things that surprises me about how popular this series is mm-hmm. because generally more popular series tend to be tend to lean into the insta lovey category more so than the slow burn like usually the main character and their significant other get together pretty early on and that's that on that kind of thing Mm-hmm. And so this one, like, especially because they do start out in such an antagonizing place that I think the progression of their relationship and getting to see that unfold makes you as the reader so invested in them mm-hmm. and like both of their emotional well-beings because you you come to realize, oh, like. Feyre needs to be in a good place emotionally before she can be in a relationship with this man. Like, you you as a reader start to realize that, like, her mental health is a priority mm-hmm. and you want her mental health to be in a good place before there could ever be anything with Resand. And I think that that is just, like, really enjoyable to, like, be aware of and, like, go on that journey. Yeah. And it I think something that, Sarah J. Moss excels at in this book is using the groundwork laid in Akatar to then uh, make it very clear to us as the reader the the emotional place like Feyre's emotional state in in the mm-hmm. beginning of this book because we've we've come to understand from the first book that when she's happy and at peace she paints and um and that she really just wants to enjoy a life where she gets to paint and feel like she's helping. And that's that. Mm -hmm. And so then in this one, we start out with, first of all, her like vomiting and having nightmares constantly and just being miserable, which, and having all these thoughts of like Mm self-loathing and, um, and that's never something she had in the first book. Plus the fact that she can't paint, she makes that very clear in the beginning and so you're you're realizing I remember reading this the first time and being like, man, this is brutal. This is not what I expected, but like I mm-hmm. get it because she's totally traumatized. But like I really thought that this would be a happily ever after, but instead she's looking into her immortal future and being like, I have a hundred years of just like sitting around with paintbrushes mm-hmm. that I don't even want. And <laughs> I remember reading it and being like, This is this is bleak. I don't know if I want to yeah. keep reading this. Like, I I can kind of understand why some people start reading the second book and then they tap out. Because it really starts oh, out yeah. so bleak. But I appreciate that because Feyre had to murder people. Innocent people. And she also feared for her life. And yeah. died. And saw her own dead body through someone else's eyes. So it's like... <laughs> She's understandably, yeah, she has a lot to process. This is making me think, though, 
Can we talk about Tamlin for a second? Because so yes, I had the exact same thought. He is also traumatized, mm-hmm. and like it's clear that he. I mean, Feyre makes a point that they both have nightmares, and and Feyre goes to the bathroom and and sits by the toilet all night while Tamlin shifts into his beast form because it's like comforting for him somehow, and he lays at the foot of the bed. And so they're, like, dealing with it separately, and they don't process it together. hmm So problem number one. I feel like that's, like, crack number one in their relationship is you see them, mm-hmm. like, clearly dealing with some trauma and not processing it. And then Tamlin makes some bad choices, which I was going to ask you, do you feel like, based on the character that we know Tamlin as from the first book, do you feel like Tamlin acts out of character in this book? Um, so not necessarily, I will say, I feel much more sympathetic towards Tamlin now than I did when I first read this. Because when I first read it, I did feel like he was out of character. I was like, what's going on? Mm-hmm. Why are you being like, there's so many moments where you're clearly, I mean, we're in Feyre's mind. And so that mm-hmm. also is a bit of a struggle because you're like, this is clearly an awful idea. So why are you doing it? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think just sort of during our discussion during Akatar. We talked about that, like, Tamlin clearly has pre-existing issues. Mm -hmm. Like, and the more we find out about him, the more we realize that he has been dealing with a lot of trauma for a long time. Mm -hmm. We know from this book that he lost his family in, like, a very brutal and painful way. And then he has this history with Amarantha and everything that happened under the mountain that I think in the first book... Feyre was fairly content to sit and paint all day mm-hmm. for a decent portion. Like she like reaches this point where she has been in survivor mode so long that now she feels comfortable and safe here. And so she's just fine sitting there. And then when she's not fine is when things really fall apart for all of them. Mm-hmm. And so I think that there's a desire on Tamlin's part to just go back to that that little blip of time, that space before everything really fell apart. Mm -hmm. And he wants Feyre to play her role, which is just to sit and paint and be content and not leave the house. Mm -hmm. And Feyre no longer fills that role. And like you said, they're processing these things separately. And as we know, Tamlin's not great with communicating. He wasn't great in Akatar and he's not great in Mm Akamath. And so I think he just doesn't have the ability to communicate why he is thinking what he's thinking and then Ianthe is that how you say her name I I think the audiobook says Ianthe Ianthe okay that's how I, how I say it. but yeah. then she's there as well just sort of whispering in his ear further inflaming mm-hmm. you know bad ideas and and uh and so I think that he ends up making some really awful choices and like that's not excusable. But I do think on this reread, it makes sense to me and I have empathy for him in that because we give Feyre so much grace in this book because she's clearly 
struggling through trauma and happens to end up with this group of people who are able to really support her and walk her through that trauma versus mm-hmm. Tamlin is very isolated and He's, does not yeah. have he has no a one group of people exactly and so i think in that sense um that makes him a very sympathetic character for me yeah you know what i was just thinking is that i think something that is so intriguing about this series for a lot of people is the morally gray of it all and Mm -hmm. reese is usually the person people talk about when they talk about like a morally gray character a morally gray love interest but i also think tamlin is morally gray because Mm -hmm. people in the fandom and this has always kind of irked me people just talk about him like he's the worst and they hate him and and i don't know they i just see content about akatar in which people paint tamlin versus recent in a very black and white uh sort of framing and and i don't agree because i think just like you're saying it, like Tamlin's bad actions are not excusable but I don't think they make him like inherently a bad person because mm-hmm. like you just said he he has been through a lot and he he just wants to be understood we we learn that in Akatar and he starts to feel understood by Feyre as they're falling in love and so now he no longer has that because Feyre is like closed off due to her trauma and he has no one else. And so he just wants that like little bit of normalcy back that they had and he can't get it. So it's like I I am also sympathetic to Tamlin and I feel like, yeah, he's not a great guy. The fact that he betrays them really sucks. But at the same time, I don't think he really knew what he was getting into with the King of Highburn. Yes, yes. And there, I think kind of like we were saying, like he's so isolated and he's so alone Mm -hmm. that I think that feeds a different type of desperation and a different type of confusion of what is good, what is bad. Because I'm not fighting for anyone anymore. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not, like there's nothing here for me to like protect except for Feyre. But Feyre, he like obviously creates... A narrative which I think Resan really feeds this narrative that the Night Court is an awful place and Feyre is likely there against her will. And it like, as far as Tamlin knows, like the Night Court supposedly sucks and mm-hmm. it's an awful place and he doesn't want Feyre there for pretty genuine reasons. Mm-hmm. I, I think there's obviously like a clear issue with Resan specifically. Mm-hmm. But I think it's hard because we, as the reader, know that Feyre is in a, an incredible place and she's met incredible people and she's grown and she's fallen in love and like she's very safe and she's healthy. But Tamlin doesn't know that really until they get to until he sees her again. Like he mm-hmm. the last time he saw her, she was on the brink of death, like starving herself very much. So not healthy. And so mm-hmm. why would he think, Oh, that she's like so much better. Like we know that she wrote that letter to him being mm-hmm. like, Hey, I'm, I'm good. Chill out. But like to Tamlin's point, she couldn't read when she left. So like, right. <laughs> I mean, I, I just, I think that 
you are correct that there's a lot of comparisons of Tamlin and Resan that I don't think are fair. And I think all things considered, like, Resand has a much better support system and, like, family structure than Tamlin does. And so he is a nicer dude and he does recover more and he does have people to tell him when he's being an idiot. Tamlin mm-hmm. doesn't. Like Tamlin no. just has Lucian who he doesn't entirely trust. And yeah. so it's like, I don't know, give the guy a break. What's he supposed to do? Right. Well, and also to Tamlin's understanding, and I think you were getting at this earlier, the, the way that the rest of the Fae perceive the night court is the court of nightmares. They don't know about right. Valeris. And so, like, as far as Tamlin knows, Feyre is back under a mountain in a miserable, mm-hmm. dark, scary place full of torture and screaming because that's what that's the front that Resand puts off um, to protect Valeris. So it's like, I can understand. Obviously, it's frustrating when Tamlin shows up and is wanting to take Feyre back to the spring court and act like everything's fine and act like he owns her. But at the same time he thinks that he's saving her and mm-hmm. and knowing that Resand has these Daimati mind powers like it's very believable how could you trust him yeah yeah that that Feyre could be like under mind powers you can't i i wouldn't trust what she's saying if i were tamlin truly well, and that's the thing. It's like the ease at which Feyre is able to convince him that she's been under this mind power this entire time is I think really speaks to that. And then like, it speaks to Tamlin's greatest fear that that's, what's been happening this whole time. Mm-hmm. And I do think there's like an element where that's what Tamlin wants to believe. Cause that's a narrative right. that fits most favorably for him. But I, I do think that sometimes people probably are like a bit too quick to just like write him off as like a big lumbering mean idiot and it's like well no he like has some pretty decent reasons for being skeptical of resand like yeah i know like they call him tampon and they're like he's the worst and it's like funny but i also just don't agree i don't yeah i i'm on team tamlin redemption arc i really want to see that agreed i would too and i i don't know that that's something we're gonna get ever but I think that he he just, like, is such a nuanced character in the first book where he has so many layers and complexities that then to see his character just watered down into so clearly just like, ah, he is the villain and that is that mm-hmm. and everything he does is bad because he's a bad guy just is a real underservice to the character. Definitely. And especially after rereading Akatar, I mean, I think it's like the first time I, I read this series, once I got to Akamath and, you you know, you see the connection between Feyre and Reese, the connection between her and Tamlin pales in comparison. So you kind of forget Agreed. everything that happened in Akatar. But as I was rereading, I, I was like, wow, there's really some like character work being done here that I think people forget about or choose to mm-hmm. ignore um, that really serves Tamlin as a a complex character who is suffering unfortunately mm-hmm. and and he lashes out because of that and he does inexcusable things um he really needs to 
work on his anger issues or someone's going yeah, to get he, hurt. He needs a therapist big time. He does. But I don't think the Fae have therapists. And he doesn't have an inner circle. So no, it's very unfortunate. Uh, but then on the other hand, let's talk also about like the morally gray aspect of Reese. Because I think mm-hmm. he's also controversial in some parts of of the fandom some people don't like this book because in in a court of thorns and roses he makes Feyre dress in such Mm -hmm. a way that she's basically naked and like parades her around the night court and makes her drink wine so that she forgets or like she's like not cognizant of what's happening to her and that's pretty fucked up and I think Mm -hmm. I just kind of forgot about that (laughs) the first time I read this series but as I was rereading it there's a part where in Akatar Feyre asks him when she like is wearing the dress and she um she gets presented to Reese by by the twins that painted her and she's like mm-hmm. bro is this necessary and i as the reader i was like damn she's so true like is this necessary no i don't think that was necessary Mm-mm. but Reese seemed to think that was necessary to like convince Amarantha that he was still on her side and and so I don't know. I guess what I'm getting at is like Reese is not as perfect as people want to say he is. Yeah. No, I would agree. I think the sort of blanket treatment that Tamlin gets, Reese and also gets, but in the reverse. Uh-huh. Because we do have that whole section in Akatar where he dresses her up and parades her around, yada yada. But like he does a lot of things and we understand that it's under the mountain and like there's a lot of stuff where he doesn't have an option. He doesn't have any choice, but he certainly like intentionally antagonizes Tamlin. Like he makes mm-hmm. the situation for Feyre quite frankly worse Yeah, um, in the beginning of this book with Akamap where it's, I understand he wants to get her out and I understand he has a role to play, but for somebody who's like, Oh, I'm I'm all about Feyre because she's my maid and blah 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 and I'm just like a a great dude doing my best with a bad hand. Like he doesn't need to antagonize Tamlin to the extent that he does. Like, no. There that part's just like not necessary and I think to some extent I feel like the whole thing under the mountain dressing her up part of me is like was that also just to antagonize Tamlin to some extent? Very like, true. They have this pre-existing beef. They don't like each other. They murdered each other's families. <laughs> yeah. That's that's a rough history. And so, and like, Darian, when he's under the mountain and he does all that stuff, he doesn't know that Feyre is his mate officially yet because she's not a Fae. She's still human. And so the bond is like vague or something. Uh-huh. Um, and so... That, I think, also begs the question of how much was he trying to really protect Feyre under the mountain at that point. I think she was much more of a means to an end for him. Yeah, like a pawn. Then, yes, yes. Then something that he was really genuinely trying to protect and save. And I think his narrative gets rewritten Yeah, as by the fandom of, oh, he was always just trying to, like, save and protect Feyre, and I don't think that's true. Well, I was going to say, I do think 
part of the reason his narrative gets rewritten is because he kind of does a little bit of revisionist history Mm. in chapter 54. As I was rereading it, he really impresses upon Farah that he's known that he had some sort of connection with her ever since, like even before he met her. Um, Mm -hmm. I think he says something about like the first night when he meets her during Callan Mai, he's like, I knew it then that you were my mate, but I didn't want to admit it to myself. So it's like, okay, did you know or did you not? And then, mm-hmm. uh, and then he he really makes it sound like every single thing he did under the mountain was to protect her. So like I understand why people believe that that narrative. But I just when I look back and I reread it from Favor's perspective, like okay, that was that was Reese's perspective. He really felt like he was doing everything possible to protect Feyre but I see a little bit of ulterior motive specifically with mm-hmm. the beef between him and Tamlin that like he maybe went a little bit over the edge at the expense of Feyre because she I remember underlining this word that she feels debased that's how she feels in the yeah. first book when she's getting paraded around like that and and that's fucked up so mm-hmm. I think people are really quick to to believe Reese's point of view and to be fair he is you know they end up together and their relationship is great Mm -hmm. but I I guess I just get bugged that people are like Reese is perfect and Tamlin sucks because I don't think either of those things are true I would agree and I I actually think that's a strength of this series I appreciate the complexity it's it's Mm -hmm. realistic yeah, because I think it's funny when people are like, ah, oh, Rhysand is like morally gray, but then he's he's just like perfect and can do no wrong. And it's like, well, actually, Rhysand is morally gray, but only if you're willing to concede that he makes some objectively bad choices in mm-hmm. regards to Feyre. Like, I understand that making objectively bad choices just in the whole situation, whatever, but specifically with Feyre... He mm-hmm. makes mistakes and yeah. that's what makes him more lifelike and like more interesting and have depth. And so to sort of erase all of that, just, yeah, it just makes him more one dimensional. Yeah. And I don't like that because I think one of the strengths of this series is well-developed and complex characters. Well, not every single character, but the central characters. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Are 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 well done and they feel tangible and and real because they do make mistakes. And so I just really appreciate that. And I really appreciate you know how believable the the relationship 180 is because like if you mm-hmm. told me going into this series, like if I had known Reese was endgame going into the series, I would have been so confused in Akatar because Tamlin and Feyre's relationship is very real and their connection is real. Mm-hmm. But then it's also very true that that relationship was right for her at the time. But mm-hmm. beyond a certain point, that relationship is no longer serving her. And I think that's very real. Like that that's how real life relationships are. And so mm-hmm. I just appreciated that that portrayal because so many fantasy series or just book series in general, like the you meet the main love interest right away and then they stay together the rest of the time. And SJM pulls a 180 on you. 
not just in this series. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to spoil anything yeah. else, but <laughs> you can't always predict who's going to be Endgame. And so I just really appreciate that because the breakdown of Feyre and Tamlin's relationship just is believable from being in Feyre's head. And I understand why Tamlin doesn't see it, mm-hmm. but like us as the reader inserting ourselves into Feyre's life really works for me. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Do we want to shift in to the things that we maybe didn't, our notes, so to speak? Yeah, some of our notes. Let's our notes and thoughts. Our notes. So, <laughs> where to begin? I think yeah. maybe let's begin with the, because this is sort of related to Feyre's journey, is that... Mm-hmm. The writing in this book is a little bit more of telling and not showing as mm-hmm. opposed to Akatar. And I think that's why in the beginning of this episode, I was saying that I think Akatar might actually be stronger book mm-hmm. for me than Akamath because, and we were talking about this a little bit off mic beforehand, but in Akatar, we're not really being told by Feyre in her internal monologue. We're not really being told why her and Tamlin connect. You just understand as the reader that like, okay, Mm -hmm. this is Tamlin was put in this situation where he didn't want to be high Lord and he has to favor was put in this situation as a provider for her family and she didn't want it. And so because of that, they have this connection. It's like, we're able to infer that as the reader. And that makes the journey fun because Mm -hmm. we see them connecting. Even if they're not saying that to each other in this book, we see that relationship break down and we see, Feyre realized that, you know, her relationship with Tamlin is not right for her anymore. But she, like, really walks us through it in extensive detail in her internal Mm -hmm. monologue to the point that it feels a little bit patronizing. Yes. And I think that there are several times throughout this book where Feyre's internal monologue is just... She just is like breaking down the most obvious things for us, breaking down her feelings towards Resan to a level of like detail that they, like you said, feels vaguely patronizing. It's like, okay, we, we get it. He's right. your mate. You right. love him. Oh it's my gosh. Fine. The amount like, of times they say, my mate, my mate, my mate, my mate, my mate, stop. Kill me. <laughs> and it just, and I think that that's why this book is sort of a rough reread because mm-hmm. the first time we read it, we didn't – this internal monologuing, describing every single thing that was happening and how she was feeling didn't really register. Mm-hmm. Like I was like, okay, she's feeling that, blah, blah, blah. But on a reread, it's just – it's so in your face and it's just – there's so many moments where I'm like, I know. It's so I on the nose. I can infer this. Like you don't need to tell me exactly what you're feeling why and like how you got to this point like I don't need the history yeah I read it I was there like it's fine and it just I think there's a few times where the writing is frustrating because it feels like I'm being talked down to in a way Mm -hmm. where it's like do you think I'm not picking this up yeah yeah, I specifically on the reread a moment where I, I had this thought was 
when um it's sort of halfway through the book Feyre and Cassian are are like training they're sparring and Feyre as she's punching Cassian's like punching bags or whatever she's like telling us through her internal monologue everything that Tamlin did wrong so she's like I had done everything for that love, had ripped myself to shreds, had killed innocents and debased myself, and he had sat beside Amarantha on that throne, and he couldn't do anything, hadn't risked it, hadn't risked being caught until there was one night left, and all he'd wanted to do wasn't free me, but fuck me, and when Amarantha had broken me, he just knelt and begged her, he hadn't tried to kill her, hadn't crawled for me, I'd fought harder for him." He'd given me everything I needed to become myself, to feel safe, and when he got what he wanted, when he got his power back, his lands back, he stopped trying. He was still good, still Tamlin, but he was just wrong. Like, she is spelling it out so clearly that it, mm-hmm. rereading this, I was like, girl, I know. The first time I read the first book, I was like, man, this is kind of fucked up that he, like, goes and <laughs> finds her and, and just wants to fuck her instead of be like, hey, are you okay? So... Mm-hmm. It, yeah, it just feels almost a little, like, insulting that she has to explain that. But I I just wonder if that's because, like, I didn't pick up on this the first time I read it. So mm-hmm. maybe it's because this is a series geared towards people who are maybe just getting back into reading. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so they benefit from things being spelled out more directly. I don't know. I just didn't, well, I didn't appreciate it. I... Yeah, I would agree. I didn't appreciate it either. And it really sort of sucks a lot of the emotion out of it some of these it. moments. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the perfect way to describe it. Because even in that section you just read, I didn't actually get a clear description or depth of emotion from Feyre. Like, what was she... What are, Name What's the she emotion. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, She's just telling us... All the thi- like you said, pointing out all the things he did wrong, which we already read, we've already hashed out. I mm-hmm. want to know how- why is she upset? Like, give give me the feeling. Don't just give me like a summary of what happened in the previous book. And you had raised this point earlier when we were talking before we started recording that perhaps SJM felt the need to sort of over explain and over recap some of this stuff because the romance is such a twist Mm -hmm. and we are sort of led to believe it's Tamlin and then in this book it shifts to Resand and so like to make sure that it's really clear to the reader why that shift is occurring did she feel the need to like really go into detail on breakdown each of the, the things this guy did right and each of these things that this guy did wrong? Maybe. Um, it just, yeah, it's a, it's a no from me. It yeah. Gets, I think there's parts of this book that are repetitive. Yeah, it it feels redundant to be explaining things that, I felt like I already understood. Now, I do feel like, though, sort of as like a a counterpoint to the point that I was just making, (laughs) um, (laughs) I think that in real life, um, you can be in a relationship or in a situation where you don't really process that something is wrong or something was bad. So, like, if we take the Mm -hmm. example of Tamlin pulling her aside under the mountain 
and immediately trying to fuck her instead of ask her if she's okay. In the moment, like in a in Akatar, Feyre has no qualms with what Tamlin does in that moment. Mm-hmm. She leans into it. She kisses him back. She's like, hell yeah, let's fuck. And, and then looking back, she's having this realization like, huh, you know, that was kind of fucked up. And so mm-hmm. we're getting like the front row seat to that very monologue where she has that moment of realization. And so maybe what's frustrating is that like it takes her, in my experience rereading this, it took her longer to get there. Than it took me. So by the time she's having this like realization, I was like, girl, we've been new. But <laughs> like, I guess what's the counterpoint that I'm sort of thinking of is that this is a, a pretty realistic depiction of like what that type of realization looks like after the fact when you're looking in hindsight and being like, oh, wow, a lot of that stuff was fucked up and I didn't realize it in the moment. So I guess... Maybe that's why this didn't bug me the first time I read the book because mm-hmm. it felt real and and it made sense. But this time around, I was like, "Okay, girl, you don't you don't have to explain all this to me." Yeah, I get that. I think though there's also moments where she like does the same thing but for Resand and all the things that he did right. Yeah. And she like does that multiple times where it's like, okay, I I get it. Like you recognize that he has been there for you and like got you out of all these shitty situations. Like we know. Yeah. And she does it like multiple times. It's not just like this incident where she's like reliving things with Tamlin. I think that's true. I just sort of felt like as the reader, SJM was like really trying to hold my hand and like mm-hmm. point out where I was supposed to connect all the dots. And it's mm-hmm. like, okay, I, I connected them on my own. I don't need you to tell me where these dots connect to get this result. Like, honestly, there was so much like when we're in chapter 54, 55, there's like several moments of like reflection and reliving on Feyre's internal monologue that it's like, Resan literally just explained all of this. Why are you like why yeah. are we thinking about it again? Like I don't know. I and maybe that's just like hypercritical or just a side effect of doing it like rereading something that I'm already familiar with. Mm-hmm. But I found some of the writing to get a bit yeah, derivative. Yeah, I think it's just interesting that Akatar was better upon a reread and this mm-hmm. book was worse upon a reread i think that's yeah and i think the hand-holding thing is is exactly why so i i think it it works for like it worked for me when i was reading this book the first time because this series was the first fantasy series i'd read in years so it was mm-hmm. i was like getting back into reading and so i think that you needed hand holding helped me yeah but now rereading it i'm like okay i could have deduced this you don't need to tell me. <laughs> I know. So there's like a, a point where I'm like, all right, girl, like, just let me use my brain for two yeah. seconds. Stop I can do cheapening it, I the moment by over explaining and like let the emotional impact just settle in instead. Yes. yes. Yeah. No. And I, I agreed with what you said that we're not in a lot of these moments. We're not getting Feyre's actual emotion. Like she's not naming the emotion. 
Like, I'm thinking mm-hmm. of another part where I think it's when Rhysand shows up at the door to, like, the lodge that she's staying in right before chapter 54. And she opens the door to him. And she's like, oh, Reese, this beautiful male, my friend, my mate, this person who had been so good to me and like goes on this whole paragraph about everything he's done for her. And I was like, girl, just I say know. you're excited. <laughs> yeah, just say you're happy to see him. Just say you're filled with like happiness. Elation. And uh, yeah, at seeing this this guy who is who you have this connection with. You don't have to tell me every single thing he's done that was good. (laughs) So it does sort of lessen the emotional impact. But all in all, I still think, you know, like we're being nitpicky because we love this Mm -hmm. series and it's fun to talk about. But ultimately the the romance is very satisfying because despite Mm -hmm. Feyre being a little bit over explainy, um, (laughs) they do have genuine chemistry in their dialogue. And that is good because we have read series where we're told that the characters have chemistry and then they clearly they don't. do not. Yeah. So I really appreciate, like, I think SJM wrote, the, wrote them really well and wrote their dialogue really well. Like, it's really fun when they're, like, passing notes to each other, like, through mm-hmm. Reese's, like, magic closet or whatever that he has in between realms. <laughs> yeah, that's a great segue to... Um... The other big <laughs> note we had, which yes. is that this is, I like, okay, this is a romance with fantasy elements. Uh-huh. This is, I'm not, this is truly a romanticy. It's a very formative, created the genre romanticy in a lot of ways, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but as a fantasy novel, the it's shit the world building <laughs> oh strong the words. magic system what is it what's happening like what are reese's powers what are reese's powers what are moore's powers what <laughs> yeah I was telling Sam off mic before this that I was listening to the More Than Fiction podcast, which is a great podcast, highly recommend. And they were talking about the moment when Moore stands up and is like in front of the human queens and is like, I am the Morrigan and my power is truth. And they were like, girl, sit down. No one knows what that means. No. (laughs) There's so many. All these characters have magic. And it don't make no damn sense. It doesn't make any sense. There, are, There's no rules for this magic system. I don't understand when it works and when it doesn't. I don't understand Rhysand's powers at all. No. He manipulates darkness, but he also makes people explode. Yeah. Why can he mist people? That has nothing to do with nothing the darkness, with darkness power. And why can he like solidify the darkness into arrows and spears but he doesn't i just feel like he should do that more often like why would he carry weapons on him if he can just make weapons out of the darkness at any time i don't know and also why can he transport objects into a closet between realms why can no one else do that can other people do that we don't know we don't know we don't know and it's like what can Feyre do we don't know we just know she has a bucket load of powers. She has every power ever. Every power ever, but yet not really clear on what any of that is. And she's honestly not great at using any of them at any given moment. 
it, unless it's like convenient to the plot where it's like, oh, this random day power, which we're saying breaks all curses. Suddenly she's a master at it and she's going to break King Hybern's yeah. heavy wards or whatever that he's been building for a gazillion years. He's literally like a thousand years old and she's like, oh, I've had these powers for two weeks and I've just figured it out. And it's like, what? You've never used this before? Where's this coming from? Right. Like, it's clear that with other powers, she has to train herself. Like, she had to train herself to be able to winnow or, like, train herself to be able to wield the fire and water with her hands. But then suddenly, out of nowhere, having never practiced the curse-breaking magic, she just whips that out and breaks some thousand-year-old wards out of nowhere and, and she's fun. under great duress in that moment <laughs> well so, it kind of seems like she does it like a little bit on accident at first yeah because like, she she's like, like having she's like, a panic attack yeah she's like really in distress and then all of a sudden she's like bright light and then she's like hee hee cracking the wards and they don't know <laughs> and i'm like what's going on that make no sense also, what's the difference between Reese's power as, like, darkness sh- darkness wielder and Asriel's power as a shadow singer? Darkness and shadows are the same thing. The same. I know. It's, like, basically, Asriel's powers just are, like, the darkness speaks to him. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> Is that it? But it's really unclear because he's like a spy. So supposedly like he, his, his shadows, shadows can, can like spy listen. For him. Yeah, they spy for him. I guess we never get his and, POV, so we just won't know. And like Resan creates shadows. But they don't spy for him. Yeah. <laughs> Instead they solidify into spears sometimes. And other times they sometimes. just make him look cool. Yeah, the the big beef I have is, like, the lack of consistency on power usage. Yeah, because it like makes it just, the stakes why? unknowable a lot of times. Like, could we get out of this with one flick of Reese's hand? Because a lot of times it, it seems like, like we it. should. He's really overpowered. Mm-hmm. And uh, Feyre is supposed to be really overpowered, but then never really uses her powers much at all. No. No, the only time she does is when she kills the adder, which is a great scene, I will say. That is a great scene. I really enjoyed that. But then I was really disappointed in the fact that she never seems to be able to pull that out again. I know. Like, that was such a badass girl boss moment. And then we just never got it again. I guess her breaking the wards was supposed to be that again. But it wasn't believable because, like, when she killed the adder, she was using her winnowing powers and her, like, ice powers that she had trained for. Mm -hmm. And the wards thing just came out of nowhere. And so you're like, girl, since when can you do this? (laughs) It makes no sense. I know, truly. And then they all like... And the thing is, it's like she breaks the wards. Which in theory means that Rhysand has his full powers back. Which in theory seems like he should be able to mist everyone and they should just (laughs) skedaddle out, right? Why doesn't he do that? He doesn't do anything. They just like winnow away and it's... I And so then I'm like, was it planned that she was going to be a spy? I don't know. The ending was... Like the first time around reading this, the ending had me in a chokehold. 
Mm-hmm. And now, this time, I was, the whole time, I was like, what is happening? Why is Feyre, really like, pretending that she was mind-controlled? Was it to, like, placate, like, to distract, to stall? Why did she well, need to do that? I don't know. And the thing that's so funny to me is thinking about how she has all these moments where she, like, makes eye contact with people and she, like, she's, like, registers that, like, oh, Cassie and understands what she's doing and Rhysan understands and she's just like mentally being like oh they know what's up but can you imagine if you were just there and you're like what is she doing like what if you didn't understand what she was doing and you were just like what the fuck this girl is screaming her head off yeah claiming all these crazy things and being like I I just think about how unhinged she must have looked and that's kind of funny I know. to me yeah and, and like somehow cassian and reese deduce what she has done and i'm like i would not have jumped to that conclusion <laughs> but more power no. to you guys i guess yeah um also the the mortal queens and the priestesses are like two structures of power that were introduced to and then mm-hmm. they just like never come back and i spoiler i guess they never like become relevant again so i don't know why what do why are there six queens are they the queens of six different countries where do they come from why do they have magic well and what's so confusing to me is we know in akatar like feyra is from the human world Uh uh-huh and it really sucks and she's really malnourished and like shit's happening and so then when they introduced i was like well geez there's six of these queen ladies and not a single one of them like has a kingdom that's like good enough to like keep Feyre's family like fed like why is she hunting in the woods i assumed that either the human realm the human section was pretty much all like self-regulated like they didn't have a king or queen or they had one king queen authority but they were all in all pretty weak like it seems like they're a very separated peoples that they're Mm -hmm. not like a unified there's like big cities metropolis happening Mm -hmm. but then i was like wait but we got six queens are they from the same continent are they from a different continent I think they're from the other continent, but the other continent is a big unknown. Like, we don't know how many countries there are. We don't know how much of it is human and how much of it is fey. We don't know anything because the map that we have only shows us Prithian and Hybern. And Hybern's like a little island. And then there's just like these mysterious continents that we know nothing about. Oh, yeah. I'm looking at the map right now. I think Feyre mentions at one point something about, because um, when she first sees Valeris, she's like, oh, wow, a city. Like, I didn't know cities existed on this continent. Like, the human realm in of Prithian is so impoverished that, like, it's only little towns. But she's, she mentions something like Elaine had once said she wanted to go to the continent to visit the big city of art. Oh, so I think we're to understand memory. that there are cities, but, like, show me on the map. I yeah I just uh, when the queens rolled up I was like yo where have you been this whole time I know like things have been pretty shitty 
Like, but does Prithian fine. just rule itself, or does Prithian fall under one of those queens? We don't know. So here's the thing. I'm looking at this map, and, like, there's Prithian, which is an island uh-huh. divided into all the different courts. But then on the big continent, it just says fairy realms. So why are the queens human? Well, there's a under there's another wall on the big continent, and underneath that are the mortal lands. Oh, maybe I should look at the map like you are. But, like, there's a whole separate fairy realm. There's Hybern, yeah. Perinthian, and then a separate fairy realm. Yeah. Well, that is something that the queens say when they come over is when they ask the queens for help. The queens are like, nah, like, if we get involved in this war, our people will probably die. And, it, like, if we're trying to protect the largest amount of people, it's better for us to just let Prithian get obliterated so that Hybern leaves us alone. Like, they don't want to get involved because they don't want the people uh... on the continent to get involved in the war. So they're like, everyone in Prithian can die. That's fine. And Pharaoh's like, man, that's fucked up. And so that's why the mortal queens won't help them. I see. Wow. I'm so glad that you have a better memory than me. <laughs> well, I reread that scene simply because I wanted to be like, does this scene actually explain Morgan's truth teller power? And it doesn't. It, well, it doesn't. and they show, they have that little, um, they go through this whole thing to get that stupid glass ball that yeah. like shows the truth or whatever. And then it, meaningless. I know. They see Valeris and they're like, no, y'all stay safe though, but we're going back. <laughs> You're buying the book. <laughs> I will say there's a lot of moments, uh, the plot in this book, which the plot is not the main driving force of this book by any means. It's definitely Feyre's relationships and her mm-hmm. mental well being that like drive this book. But the plot has so many moments where they're just like kind of like, I feel like they're, like, on side quests, you know? Yeah. They're like, we're going to do this little side quest to collect this little artifact, but it doesn't mean anything. There's a lot of side quests. We're just waiting until we get to the big quest, and I think that's kind of funny. Yeah, no, because I remember a big part of this book is that Asriel is, like, gone for a while in, like, Mm -hmm. the human realm, question mark, trying to, like deduce the location of the book so he can steal it and then it just is like totally fruitless mm-hmm. so he's just like poor guy i know poor guy he's he's out here doing his best i will say something that i picked up on reading this again is that asriel and more specifically get a lot of really great little just like cute character moments like more is Feyre's mm-hmm. first ever like female friend and she, like, comes over to the house while Feyre is, like, in that mountain house being sad. And she just, like, mm-hmm. paints with her and paints some stick figures while Feyre's doing her artsy stuff. I know, stuff. it's cute. And it's cute. And there was this one part where Feyre, the first time, I think they're going to fly somewhere. I don't remember where they were flying. But uh, Cassian and Reese and Asriel were all going to fly. And Feyre had to choose who to fly with. And <laughs> and they all think she's going to choose Reese, And then she's like, I'm... I'll fly with Asriel. And then Asriel just, like, Cassian and Reese are like, <gasps> what? And then Asriel <laughs> just looks at her and, like, bows his head and is like, okay. And I was like, oh, W, Asriel moment. Like, that's so cute. Asriel is my fave. That's He's such who a I'm, sweetie. I want a book about him. I know. Hopefully that's coming. 
I will say another overdone thing in this book is like it, it SJM takes great pains to make us aware that Asriel is constantly checking out more. And you're like, okay, we get it. <laughs> well, and honestly, I feel like this is this isn't like a huge spoiler, but I will say given the context of the whole series, it's like kind of out of character, I feel like for him. I agree. Like he's not like an overt dude, like he's a professional spy for one thing. So you think he can't like keep his his pining glances secret? Like, like he's that gotta have a poker face. Yeah. And then also he just like I don't know. He's such a subtle dude. Like that's his thing Mm -hmm. that for us to repeatedly be like, he's not being subtle at all about how much he's obsessed with her. It's like, okay, I get it. Calm down. Yeah. I found that annoying and a disservice to Adriel, who normally is a really great, sweet character. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, one other note I had about characters is just that I always see memes about Elaine and Nesta being turned into Faye and how, like, it's like, congratulations, you're Faye. You're ultra strong. You get immortal life. You're extra beautiful and have a perfect body. Congrats. And Nestra, Nesta and Elaine both are like, this is the worst thing that's ever happened. My life is over. <laughs> I know. The book does not do a convincing job of, like convincing us that being a fae would ever be construed as like a bad thing because we spend so much of the first book learning about how shitty it is in the human world yeah that to like become fae it's like yo i'm only seeing pros here yeah i know so when nesta and elaine became fae when i read this the first time i was like sick now like we'll yeah. get more of them but then they all act like it's the worst thing that's ever happened to them. Yeah. And I'm like, calm down. Like, Elaine, oh, boo-hoo. Elaine doesn't get to marry that asshole. I know. <laughs> grow up. You're fine. Up. Literally. Nesta also needs to grow up because she is so rude. When they She's go back so to the mortal me. lands, Cassian has a great moment where he tells her off. And he's like, dude, you need to stop acting like you're better than us because... Feyre literally suffered to provide for you. But yeah. Nesta still is like, no, you can't use our house to conduct your meetings with the mortal queens because we hate Faye. And they're like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> it's so it's so stupid. I do not like Nesta in this book. No, no, I don't like Nesta at all. Do you have any other <laughs> character notes? Sorry, I feel like I just um, went on a... Only only other criticisms, as we've said before, not into the animal characteristics, particularly yeah. as it relates to sex. Don't bark. Don't growl. <laughs> don't claw. Wait, you should read that part that you read to me that was like, <laughs> Reese barked. <laughs> I know. I was like, <laughs> kill me. And then I literally, I was like, I read the quote. I'm like, and Reese and barked. And then Riley goes. Woof. Woof. <laughs> Just like mid, mid-sex. mid Woof. <laughs> like, what is appealing about that? Sorry, I shouldn't, I shouldn't kink shame. But that's not appealing <laughs> to me. <laughs> I mean, I think, listen, I'm of the opinion that, like, every now and then, like, we should kink shame. Some kinks should be shamed. It's fine. So true. <laughs> also, it cracks me up that, like, 
in my mind, she's like wearing yoga pants uh, when in chapter 55 because she's like in a big like chunky sweater with leggings and I'm like so yoga pants and I think that's so funny that she's just like wearing her lululemons and right like why does that exist because up until this point all the clothes have been so like whimsical Mm -hmm. and now suddenly she's just like wearing lululemon I'm like girl where'd you get that maybe they have lulu on the other continent and she glows yeah and he he's all dark and she's all glowy and it's like very yin yang it's not for me yeah it's it's unfortunate because the build-up to chapter 55 is so good that like when they do finally have sex it's so satisfying but then at the same mm-hmm. time the sex is so it's it's just the way it's written is not for me like she orgasms like six yeah. times in yep. the span of a few minutes and she glows, and Reese's orgasm causes an avalanche. We've already been over this with Fourth Wing, but we don't need to be having natural disasters when people orgasm. That's that's too it's much. It's not necessary. It's not for us. It's really not necessary. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. yeah, all that to say is, I think there's some of the some of the stuff that I think others probably find really sexy are are not terribly sexy for me. Yeah, I think SJM loves to write her smut using animal characteristics because it's like that in every series unfortunately and it's just it'll be like he like purred or whatever and i'm like (laughs) yeah yeah like what is that how do you purr a word Scottish, like a Scottish person's trying to say her name. That's what that sounded like. Screaming. <laughs> well, on that yeah. note, on that note, chapter fifty-five is iconic, but it's it leaves some to be desired. I, I would agree. It's an acquired taste. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I, I feel just like sort of. I don't know. Like, it doesn't put me off of the Feyre Resand romance just because I feel so affectionate towards their relationship. Oh, and I will say mm-hmm. the the scenes preceding that, such as like the throne room scene in the Court of Nightmares, is so hot. Oh, that because is. Because I love tension. And that scene is just pure tension. And then uh, the scene where they're in like that motel and there's only one bed, classic. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, it is a little bit wild because he fingers her for like three seconds and then she orgasms. But still, that scene is hot. <laughs> so yeah. there is some some good groundwork laid there that when chapter 55 comes around and it's like extremely cheesy, I'm like, you know what? I'm happy for them. Good for and, them. Yeah. And all their yin yang glowing darkness of it all. <laughs> so um, on that note, are you going to stick with your initial rating of 7.5? I'm going to give it a seven. Okay. Yeah, I think I'm going to stick with a seven. Because it's like, this is a good book. Mm -hmm. And I still think, like, if I were to tell anyone to read this series, I would be like, you're going to enjoy the second book the most. Even Mm. if I have some notes, I think that this book is just so, it's just such a journey. Because you're not expecting the way that Feyre's life is going to take a 180. And so I just really mm-hmm. appreciate that. I think SJM did something that I've never seen done elsewhere. And for that, I commend her. 
<laughs> that was so that was so cheesy we can cut that out <laughs> I, I loved that and for that i commend her like you're about <laughs> to give her an award like she's here <laughs> right now as i've only given her book a seven out of ten that's that's like a c if we were grading like schools <laughs> Wow. But she did really do something with this. And like, I think there's a reason this series is so popular. And it's because no one is expecting this twist. And mm-hmm. and it's really well done. So like, I will continue to love this series. Uh, do you have anything else to say before we wrap up? Okay. Mm-mm. So in our next episode, we will be going over A Court of Wings and Ruin, the third book in this series. So come back next week if you enjoyed this episode make sure you're following us wherever you listen to podcasts so that you don't miss our new episodes they come out every tuesday and if you're using spotify or apple it would mean so much to us if you leave us a five-star rating and or review uh we would also love to hear from you we'd love to hear anyone else's thoughts on this series so you can get in touch with us on our instagram at the great obsession pod uh or via email all that info's in our show notes and with that Thank you so much for listening and we'll catch you next week. Bye. Bye.